scripture reading tonight is Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 21a. But the high priest rose up, and all that were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to preach. Thank you, Rich. Pastor Tim. Hello, everybody. That was pretty hearty. You know, for those who are watching at home, did you actually say hello back? I hope so, because we love you too, and we are excited that you're joining us uh, along with our huge group that's here this evening, and I'm really excited about seeing uh, the church gathering again. This is pretty exciting. So how many of you are really enjoying that? Yeah. That was so weak. I bet that was a deacon. Was that one of our deacons clapping? Mike, was that you? Further back, okay. Brobes. Keith Brobes does not clap. All right, why don't we get our Bibles open, Acts chapter 5, if you don't have them open. And uh, Rich, thank you for reading that. We're going to be reading, actually working through the rest of the chapter. It's really long, and so for that I'm not going to go word for word, but we're going to hit some pretty big themes on this. This is a really, really important sermon, and I'm hoping that you're going to be encouraged, challenged, given some direction. You know, last week, do you remember last week? that I asked you and I challenged you to get on Facebook, find a way somehow to share your testimony, how God has saved you. And you know what? They were pouring in all week. It was really fun to read these, and I, I didn't know some of these testimonies, and so it was exciting for me to be able to get to hear these. You know, I had a guy text me. He's a coach. And he said, you know, I really thought about that. And I said, you know, I need, to, I need to give my entire team my testimony. So he got them together. This last week, I think it was Thursday, he got them together. And he said, team, I need to tell you something about me that maybe you don't know yet. But here it is. And he shared how Jesus Christ saved him. Wow. I can't wait I cannot wait one day to find out, Lord, what's the fruit that's going to come from that? What's the fruit for those of you that shared your testimony on Facebook or found other ways to do this? Maybe with a friend or a neighbor or even somebody in your family, extended family. Listen, if you haven't yet, and even if you did, can I encourage you, come on, this is why we have been saved. This is why we've been saved, to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. So if you've never done that, or if you haven't done that in a while, and if there are people in your life that you need to do that with, then I'm going to encourage you, don't privatize your faith. It's never been private. Never. Get it out there and make it public. Friends, the church cannot be overcome. No matter, I hope, I hope you're listening, no matter who sits in the Oval Office, no matter what a government does, no matter how much free speech is suppressed by those in power, the church will never be overcome. And regardless of persecution, and I hope you hear this, even because of persecution, the Spirit-filled church will grow more and more influential. 
And we're going to see all of this play out in our passage today. And I hope that it encourages you and emboldens you. And if you experience persecution, listen, you can rejoice in this. And the example has already been set. What we're going to see is the opposition to the church. We're going to see the opportunities that opposition creates. We're going to see an unlikely rescue for God's people. And then we're going to see an amazing and powerful response. Somehow we're going to do this in close to the time that I've been allotted. So let's jump right to it. I've got four points. And I really need you to follow along. If you don't have your Bible open, I'm going to pray that just right around you, that pew will set on fire. Briefly, I don't want you hurt. If you're at home on a couch and you're laid back and you don't have your Bible open, you don't want to know when I'm praying for you. So let's get that Bible open. Let's get it open. Let's get it open to Acts chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 17 through the end of the chapter. Here's the first point. It's the jealous opposition. Now we're going to read about this in a little bit, but we're going to read and think about the jealous opposition. I need to tell you something. In the 1970s, not that long ago, all right, that's a long time ago for some of you younger people, but 50 years ago, there was a New Testament scholar by the name of Robert Funk. We've got a Funk family in our church. They're incredible. They're in my life group. But this funk that I'm telling you about is not an awesome guy. He started a movement called the Jesus Seminar. The Jesus Seminar was a group of scholars that worked to discover what they believed was the real Jesus and the real words of Jesus hidden behind 2,000 years of Christian history and myth. So they basically took the Bible, the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they dissected it to find what words did Jesus actually really say, and what parts of the Gospel are true. For example, their supposed scholarship yielded that there are two words that they can attribute to Jesus that he actually said in the Lord's Prayer. And here are the two words, our Father. Beyond that, they said, none of them are true. This group meets twice a year. Their efforts have resulted in basically a resurrection of Je- a rejection of the resurrection of Jesus, a rejection of the virgin birth, a rejection of all the miracles in the gospel, and a rejection of 82% of the words of Jesus. And Robert Funk himself said these words, Jesus was perhaps the first stand-up Jewish comic. Starting a new religion would have been the furthest thing from his mind. Those are PhD-level scholars that call themselves Christians. Now, what I want you to know is this. There has always been and there always will be those within the church that are heretics. And they begin movements 
that try to reduce our confidence in the Word of God. What I'm going to be doing week after week, what I've always done, is elevate your confidence in the Word of God. It is infallible. The words stand today as strong as they did when they were spoken. These theological liberals who rejected the miracles of the Bible, the resurrection of Jesus, they rejected angels, or angels rather, they were the prototype for rather, they were the offshoot that resembled the group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees were alive and unfortunately well in the time of Jesus. Acts 23, 8 says this, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. They rejected most of the Old Testament. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. The people mostly responsible within Israel for crucifying Jesus were the Sadducees. They were fierce opponents of our Lord and Savior. They believed only the first five books of the Old Testament were legitimate. And we all wonder as we see a company or a college, listen, or a nation slide into liberalism and decay, how could this have ever happened to a once solid company, once solid institution, a once solid country? Somehow these liberal men called the Sadducees gained the high priesthood and the control of the Sanhedrin. That was like the Congress, our modern-day Congress. And they were determined to maintain control, even if they had to murder their opponents, which they had done with Jesus Christ, and now they are about to try to do with the apostles. Look at verse 17. But the high priest, he's a Sadducee, rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Now, all you got to do is look in your rearview mirror for a moment. Look what had just been going on, verses 12 through 16. We looked at it last week. People were being healed. Everybody was being healed. Everybody that was harassed or possessed by a demon was being delivered. People were finding help. And the Sadducees hated it. More than just Peter and John, it seems, were arrested. The apostles were arrested and put them in public prison. And we might wonder why. Why would the Sadducees be so jealous with their own countrymen, their own countrywomen being cared for? Well, what I'm going to explain to you is as true for you and I as it is for the Sadducees. Jealousy, listen, is always about power and control. Jealousy is always about power and control. And theirs was being threatened, so their sinful hearts became visible. Do you understand what I just said? Their sinful hearts became visible. That's how it works, you know. We've got sin, and it's not at the surface of ourselves. It's deeply intertwined in our hearts. And when we speak sinfully, when we act sinfully, when we are jealous, and we hunger and thirst for power and control, 
All that is, is your heart is making its way to the surface. And all the while, God sees down in your heart, he sees all of that stuff, all of what displeases him. And he's saying, it's time to do heart surgery, so I'm going to force that to the surface, and we're going to deal with it through the gospel. How do you deal with it? Two weeks ago, you confess, you repent, and you worship. Well, let me get a little personal with you. Let me ask you to get a little personal with yourself because you're not going to have to respond outwardly or verbally, but when's the last time this week that you confessed, repented, and worshipped? What I'm really asking you is when this last week did God show you your heart and drive you into godly sorrow to the point that you agreed with God, that you cast it on his mercy, that you repented because you didn't just break a rule of God in that sin, you broke the heart of God and it moves you to sorrow, it moves you to repentance, and then it moves you to come back home to the one who loves you. That's worship. Now, did you do that this last week? Did you do that today? I had to do that today. Did you do that in the last five minutes? <laughs> I can't stand that pastor. Oh, I'm sorry, God. I acknowledge that I repent and I worship. This is the Christian life. And while jealousy is all about power and control, and yes, the Sadducees' power and control was being threatened, their hearts became visible. They arrested the apostles, and they planned to bring them to court the very next day. Point number two, it's the witnessing opportunity. You see, the early church, before we read this, the early church had three keys to their success. And if you're writing things down, you're not going to see it on the screen. If you're writing them down, I'll speak slowly and I'll repeat them. I think they're worth remembering. Three keys to their success, and we've got them available to us today. Number one, they had a principle to live by. Look at verse 29. We must obey God rather than man. Number two, they had a practice Look at verse 32. We are witnesses to these things. And number three, they had a power. Verse 32, the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, Christian, is there anything different about you today? You've got a principle. You've got to obey God rather than man. You've got to practice. You are witnesses to these things. And you've got a power. The Spirit of God lives in you, filling you, whom God has given to those who obey him. They had a principle, a practice, and a power. And every Christian has the same three keys available, which is good because in every experience, I've got to hear this, in every experience that you will ever have in being persecuted, there will be an opportunity in it to witness of Jesus. See, we might think of persecution a little bit backwards, that when we're witnessing of Jesus, then we get persecuted. I'm telling you, yes, when you are witnessing of Jesus, this world will hate you, and they will persecute you, and then you're even going to have another opportunity then. Let's watch it unfold. The angel freed the men. Verse 20, God sent an angel. They're in prison, the apostles. He frees them. Look what he says to them. 
Go right back to the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. How do you like that? Can we get a break? Can you give us a day off? I mean, come on, we thought we were just put in prison. We thought we were dead for sure. He says, no. This gospel's got to get to the end of the earth. Time is short. This is not your time to rest. You've got all eternity to rest. This is your time to work for the kingdom. Go right back to the temple. The people want to hear the words of life. And when you share the good news of what God has done by saving sinners through sending his son Jesus, who died on the cross, was buried and resurrected so that you could be forgiven, you're literally sharing the words of life. Now recalibrate your mind for a moment because we feel really good, don't we, when we have a conversation where we help somebody through a relational problem and they feel better afterwards. Listen, that is tiny life. Tiny life. You want to share the words of full life, you share the gospel. And in comparison to someone now becoming a Christian... Whereas before, they were on their way to destruction. Now, you've shared the words of life. Now, your satisfaction is sky high. You know, we get a lot of phone calls to the church, often from people that have never come here or haven't been for years. And we got one this last week, and I said, you know, one of our elders is better at that. I, I could tell through listening to the message. I, I just sensed the Lord, I think, told me, get this elder to call them. And the elder did. And 45 minutes into the conversation, the elder starts sharing the words of life. And you know what happened? That person, who's only been in church a couple times in his life, a Catholic church, he heard for the first time the gospel. And he gave his life to Jesus last night on the phone with one of our elders. That's the words of life. He now has a purpose to live for. Jesus is now his Savior and his Lord. He's got a long way to go to learn how to live this Christian life. And we're going to help him, but that's the words of life. And that's what you share. That's what I share. And look at verse 12 of Acts 4. You just got to flip back one page probably. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Listen, I'm going to tell you, you will feel the pressure. You can talk about God. The world's going to be okay with that, usually. But then when you begin zeroing it in on Jesus Christ, they're going to recoil. And you can feel it. It is so much more difficult to talk about Jesus than it is just to talk generally about God. But if you want to share the words of life, then you've got to share about salvation. It's only available in one person. His name is Jesus. And the message is quite simple. And Paul tells us what it is in 1 Corinthians 15. For I deliver to you as of first importance. This is the best news possible. What I also received, this best news was given to me, he says. Here it is. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the gospel of salvation. Do you believe that? Why did Jesus die? He died as the sin bearer. 
the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for us. He died in our place. And the moment that you believe, the moment you entrust your soul to that news, the moment that you confess, I don't deserve this, but I believe that you're going to give this to me, that moment you are saved. You are taken out of the kingdom of darkness, the Bible says, in Colossians, and put into the kingdom of the Son. You now have a Father in heaven. You now are his child. You have a brother in Christ. You are an inheritor of the riches. And God says, unbelievably, that he loves you to the same degree that he loves his son. And he's got a purpose for you and he puts a seal on you. That's what it means to be saved. That's the gospel. Those are the words of life. And this is what the apostles were sharing. And if you believe what I just presented to you, submitting to Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, then you will have life, life like you never imagined was possible. And you're going to have a purpose and a satisfaction and a peace and a shamelessness and a joy and a family called the church. So the angel says, people are dying. They're going to hell. You don't have time to take a day off. Get back out into the temple and share with them the words of life. So what do the apostles do? They go back and they begin preaching and they begin teaching. They begin witnessing again, but they're not going to enjoy their freedom for long because now it's kind of funny. The Sanhedrin comes the next day. There's 71 men and they hold court and they tell the temple guards, go get the apostles out of prison and bring them in here because now it's time for the trial. And then they discovered that during the night, the men had disappeared. No one knew. No one knew how. Somebody comes back into this courtroom, which was located, by the way, in the temple. That's where they held court, except for the illegal one that they did with Jesus the night he was betrayed. That was at uh, Caiaphas's home. But they held court in the temple. They went to, somebody comes running in and says, hey, didn't you put these guys in prison? Because they're out in the temple at Solomon's portico, and they're telling everybody about this Jesus. So what do they do? They send the chief of police. That's who he is, the captain of the temple guard. He's the chief of police. He's working hand in glove with the high priest, who's a Sadducee. He goes out to them, and he says, hey, guys, would you just come with me willingly? He really did. They were so popular. So many people were around. They didn't dare arrest them by force. Would you come willingly? Now listen, this is unbelievable. What would you do? They said yes. Some of you would be reaching for your carry conceal or your auto knife. They said yes. Why? Have you ever thought of this? Why did they willing? They weren't being forcibly arrested. They were asked to come with them. They knew where they were going. They knew the Sanhedrin was together. Why? Because they had a boldness and an eagerness to testify of Jesus. And they knew they were about to get an opportunity with the most powerful people in Israel. You always have an opportunity to witness in persecution. Always. 
And verse 27 says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now listen, are you listening, are you reading this with discernment? Because you should be probably picking some things up. The high priest would not even utter the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, the world hates the name of Jesus. They're tolerable with God, but not with the name Jesus. They wouldn't utter the name of Jesus. They just used a phrase, this man's blood. How weird is that? They wouldn't even say his name. You know, in Acts eleven twenty six, Lord willing, we will get to that eventually. Believers there were first called Christians. They weren't ever called Christians until Acts eleven twenty six. Now, listen. I don't know if you know this, but the term Christian was coined by their enemies. It was a term of contempt. But it became for the church a badge of honor. But you should know, fellow Christian brother and sister, the origin of our name and our title was one where they spit it out, meaning to shame and to bring into disrepute by calling you that name. And yet now I want to be called a Christian. I love to be called a Christian. And now came the second opportunity the apostles had to witness and now they could witness to their greatest foes. Look at verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. Principle number one. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. We've got a job. And we've got a power, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So we've got the apostles, probably all 12 of them. They're standing on trial before the most powerful 71 men in Israel. The same men who illegally put Jesus to death. And they are fearlessly testifying of their Savior. Now listen, just get your bearings for a moment. We struggle, don't we? Just be honest. We struggle even telling our friends who love us, and we love them about Jesus. We get all nervous. We get all tongue-tied, and we say, we're not going to do it. They're in front of men who could kill them, and they're given a boldness and a fearlessness. Why? Because they are filled with the Spirit. And I'm going to tell you something, and you may have a hard time hearing this, but if you are too afraid to share about Jesus Christ, you are not full of the Holy Spirit. You are not. Because the number one, over and over, 15 of them in Acts, result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is given the power and the boldness and the clarity to witness of Jesus. Peter is their spokesperson. And he is saying something like this. The God, Israel, the God of Israel resurrected Jesus whom you killed. 
And that Jesus now sits at God's side in the highest seat of honor, his right side, and he is the leader, that word means author or source, of eternal life. He is the savior of his people. So he is the leader, he's the prince, he is the savior. It's the same title in Hebrews 2.10, he's the author of their salvation. This is why they were so bold. Not only because the spirit of God filled them, there's just no other way to have life. But through Jesus. Now I'm going to tell you what motivated them. And you got to look in between the words of the text. And it will tell you if this is motivating you. Love. That's your motivation for witnessing. And if you don't really have a lot of love, you're not going to have a lot of motivation. But if you have a lot of love and you don't witness, you've got to really just be honest and question, what kind of love do you really think you have? Jesus, Peter said, is the one who gives the ability to repent. Not you, not me. Listen, there is many times... Come on, I know a lot of your lives. I know a lot of your lives. And if I had the ability to help you repent, man, that would be awesome. I don't. I can't make you repent. And parents, you know this. You cannot make your children repent. And if you're married, you know you cannot make your spouse repent. And if you've been hurt... And grievously wounded by somebody, you know you can't make them repent. And the more you witness, the more you're going to get wounded. It wasn't very long ago that I was really sharing Jesus with a group of men that I bicycle with. And we're riding one night when one of them gets lost. I'm not the ride leader. There is a responsibility of the ride leader to say, hey, where are you? Are you okay? Well, nobody did that. He didn't do that. But here comes the rider when we're almost back at our destination, come riding up, and he begins hurling obscenities at me. What have I done? I've shared Christ with him. We got back to the parking lot, and I went over there to try to talk to him. He would not even talk to me other than hurling the F-bomb and blaming me for everything. So I waited a day, and I texted him. I said, listen, I'm really sorry what happened. I'm not really sure what I did, and I'd like to talk to you about it if we could and try to resolve this. And he just continued to just dump his anger on me. You know what I did? I witnessed to Jesus. I witnessed to him about Jesus. That's a spiritual response. That's, in part, easy persecution. That's not bad. I'm not being put in prison. I'm not being put on a cross. I'm not having my home taken away from me. But I've been ostracized, and it spread throughout the other bikers, and it affected some of them. That's persecution. And all of a sudden, he's maligning my character. And he's saying things about me that I don't think are true, but if they are, I'm willing to apologize. And I would love to be able to help him repent. I'd love to be able to push him off a cliff at times, but I don't want to do that. But I would love to be able to help him repent. 
but I can't. The only one that can lead anybody, look at your text, that can lead anybody to repentance and salvation is Jesus. And then he ends, Peter does, by giving an altar call. Can you believe this? Peter learned from Billy Graham. He said, if you will repent, you will be forgiven, filled with the Spirit, and be obedient to Jesus. That's an altar call. It's an invitation. He wants them saved. Listen, if you don't have love undergirding your witnessing, you really aren't going to be very effective. They are in big trouble. And we're about to see a surprising rescue point number three. When they heard this, verse 33, the Sadducees, they were enraged. This is the whole Sanhedrin. They were enraged. And look what they wanted to do. They wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all of the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Now, Gamaliel was a rabbi, a Pharisee. By the way, Sadducees hated Pharisees, and Pharisees hated Sadducees. But Gamaliel represented the house of Hillel. He's one of the two most famous rabbis in Israel. Shammai is one, Hillel is the other. And they were very different from each other. One was more liberal, the other one was more legalistic. But Gamaliel, verse 34, respected by all the people, he's held in such honor by the way, that he's the first ever to be given the title rabbin rather than just rabbi. That's even a higher title than rabbi. He's not a Christ follower. In fact, he's the one that trained the apostle Paul when his name was Saul and he's ravaging the church. But Gamaliel was unwittingly used by God to rescue the apostles from death. He didn't like the Sadducees. They didn't like him. But he swayed the Sanhedrin, verse 38, to leave these men alone. Let them go. And then they held a vote. And that's what they did but not without a parting shot of persecution, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Some of your versions say flog, which literally means to break open the skin. But I, no, listen, let's just get, let's get personal for a moment because some of us are really, really angry at what we're perceiving as the suppression of free speech happening in our country. And that very well likely may be happening, and I'm going to guarantee you it's going to get a whole lot worse. But it's a tactic that the enemy has consistently taken against Christianity. Verse 40, charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. They suppressed their free speech. Why? Because the enemy fears the gospel of life. And to provoke the apostles to fear, remember those temple guards that went to go get the apostles but were humiliated because somehow they escaped? Oh, that would almost cost you your life as a soldier. It would in Rome. They beat them, I would imagine, quite vigorously. So would the persecution silence the apostles, well, we're going to find out in my fourth, final brief point, the faithful response, verse 41. That then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. 
And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Despite the threat, despite the physical pain, now listen, get into their sandals, despite the humiliation of being beaten, the apostles rejoiced. Can you not imagine that their backs were bearing the scars of their beating? But they viewed them as badges of honor. They counted Jesus greater than their own freedom, greater than their physical well-being, greater than their reputation, greater than their dignity. This is how you rejoice and give honor to Jesus. It's all about him. It's not about us. And what an opportunity for a gut check brother and sister in Christ, if and when we are persecuted, do you and will you rejoice? Will I? Well, I'll tell you how you measure whether you're going to rejoice or not. Look what they did. They went right back out and began to witness of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon in the late 1800s said this to his own church. He was a pastor in London. He said this to his church, quote, You were not created to sit in these pews and listen to me. There is something better for a mortal man to do than be a hearer only. It's to be a witness. And I'm going to tell you the same thing, brothers and sisters. There is something better. Be a witness. I'm going to close by introducing you to the 16th century French reformer Theodore Beza. He took over for John Calvin. And Beza labored to help the Christians endure what at that time had become a horrific persecution really all through Europe. And Beza boldly said he was brought before the king of France who was a cruel and bloody man, he boldly said to him these words. Watch them on the screen and listen to these. Remember, king, that the church is an anvil which has worn out many a hammer. Friends, write that down. You're going to need to remember this. The church is an anvil which has worn out many a hammer. Here's why I'm telling you to remember this, because here's what persecution does. It thins the herd in the church. Those who are fence-sitting, what we call nominal Christians that like to come to church but really aren't giving their life to the Lord, persecution obliterates your testimony and you leave. But for those who are filled with the Spirit, it invigorates your soul. You don't enjoy it, but you will be emboldened. And you will witness more than you ever have, even with threats and even with persecution. Why? Because you are part of the church, and the church is unconquerable. So Christian, walk in obedience to your captain. His name is Jesus, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and declare the gospel of life every single opportunity that God gives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you as we're about to go back into singing, Lord. May our souls come alive, Lord, with these words that we're about to sing. 
And Lord, I pray that even now, Lord, the Spirit of God is emboldening us. Father, I pray that even now, Lord, like a fitness, Lord, somebody that works out at the gym and the next 48 hours their muscles are repairing and they are getting stronger. Lord, I pray that even now, Lord, the muscles of our faith are repairing in some cases and getting stronger in others. And Father, I pray that we would have more courage. Lord, that we would understand that we have the same keys to being a successful church as the early church did. Lord, we've been told to obey God rather than man. We've been given the job of being witnesses of Jesus Christ, and we've been given the help of the Holy Spirit who will fill us and give us courage and fear, fearlessness and clarity. Lord, I don't know what's coming this week in, our, in each of our lives. I don't even know what's coming in my life. But Lord, I'm pretty sure there's going to come an opportunity for me to give the gospel the words of life. Lord, I pray that I would take it. And Lord, for my friends here, God, I pray that you would give them opportunity. And Lord, that they would take it. We can't lead anybody into repentance, but we can tell them about the gospel. And we can invite them to respond. Lord, give us the courage to do it. That's why we exist. In the name of our incredible Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.